Good morning, everyone, those uh, who are live and those uh, Baruch Hashem would not have expected this crowd on, a, uh, on an air of Pesach, basically. I hope that many of you are going to a hotel of some sort, um, but, uh, or at least have worked this out with your significant other that you're here now. Um, I, I took me a while to break this to my wife, that I would be uh, here on a Sunday morning, but uh, for uh, High's uh, yard site, um, obviously, uh, was going to be here. It was great as to be asked by the family, along with uh, Rabbi Leibowitz, who has much more to do this morning than I do. I'm uh, very flattered and wonder what he's doing here at the first session, but I appreciate that uh, with everything that he has to do uh, with his uh, with his shul. <sighs> three years, three years. It is. Um, in, in a way, it's a flash. It's very hard to believe that High is not here um, and that he is not at, uh, at the REITs board meetings, at the trustees meetings. And on the other hand, it feels like a different world, a different world, the world of COVID. Those of us who had these chus to be at the, uh, at the Kavura and uh, many things needed to work out to be able to actually be at the Kavura that day that Kaddish, which was the first time that we had a chance to hear anything that needed a minion in over a month. Most of us had not prayed with a minion in a month at the time of that, uh, that very, very powerful Kaddish. So it's a, it's a, it's a very uh, bittersweet opportunity to really just begin to memorialize someone who basically made our yeshiva what it is. I think that through COVID, we haven't really had a chance to begin to understand, to begin to talk about, to begin to memorialize, to begin to put in place the pieces that will uh, memorialize Rabbi Arbusfeld within our yeshiva, but certainly in our minds and in the legacy of the yeshiva, he is always there. It's a great schuss to be able to speak before you today. Those of you who are here, is mom able to watch on uh, watching this morning, or we don't know? Is mom on? And uh, if you are able to watch this morning, if you're able to watch, we wish you a full shalema. And uh, we, of course, have tremendous akaras hatov uh, to you as well. Uh, there are more people that I would welcome by name in this room than not, so uh, I will uh, miss that. I will pass on that opportunity, but it is, of course, with great uh, thanks to Rabbi Rakoff for everything that he's begun to do. Uh, Dr. Dabrinsky, it is always a schuss to be able to see you twice in a month now. Um, our, our, our Dr. Dabrinsky, uh, Rabbi Russ Schultz, who uh, heads up uh, institutional advancement for REITs and uh, members of the Arbusfeld family. In my experiential, not intellectual memory, writes the Rav, and I can see uh, people already knowing what I'm going to quote, uh, Dr. Schatz in the back. Two nights stand out as singular, as endowed with a unique and fascinating quality, exalted in their holiness and shining with a dazzling beauty. The Rav writes that in his experiential memory, there are two nights that go beyond any other nights of the year. The night of the Seder, and the night of Kol Nidre. 
How many of us experience the night of the Seder in the same way that we experience the night of Kol Nidre? As a child, writes the Rav, I was fascinated, indeed entranced, by these two clear, moonlit nights, both wrapped in grandeur and majesty. I used to feel stimulated, aroused, inspired, illuminating vision, heightened my senses, which were sharpened and liberated from all inhibitions. A strange silence, stillness, peace, quiet and serenity enveloped me. I surrendered to a stream of inflowing joy and ecstasy. Now, I would venture to say that if I were at a Seder with the Rav, Certainly if I were at the Seder with the Rav's father, Rav Moshe Soloveitchik, and if I was sitting at a Seder with the Rav and Rav Moshe Soloveitchik and Rav Chaim Soloveitchik, I'd imagine I'd also have an uplifting experience, one that would stand out in my memory forever. But what can we do? How can we transform our Siddharim from nights of family, which is wonderful if we're Zoha to have a family and have a family with us, from nights of the accomplishment of mitzvos, and some count 64 different mitzvos that we accomplish on that night, how can we make them nights that play a significant role in the lives of our family and our people? How can we move from a paschal lame, a night of jokes, a night of going through the same thing that we've done again and again to a Paschal Lamb, to a night of ecstasy, as the Rav describes. It is not simple. We have to remember, of course, that the main event is missing. That our Seder, and I point this out every single year at our Seder, that our Seder is is missing the main point. That the icker is suff- that the icker is missing. We don't have a korban pesach. Everything we're doing is just a recreation of something that once existed. Today we have to try even harder, perhaps to look specifically at the korban pesach, to understand from the time that we had the korban pesach, to understand how to make this night as magical as we can. I want to look with you and I want to learn with you. I want to learn with you. I want to challenge you. I want to get feedback. If you're on Zoom, you could try to give feedback. I'll try to listen to you somehow. Can't really see you raising your hand, but you could shout out from home as well. I'd like to review with you two accounts of the mitzvah to bring the Korban Pesach that appear very close to each other in the Chumash, one in Perak Bet, and I'll from here on refer to it as Perak Bet and Perak Gimel. A lot happened between these two sets of sukkim. The Jewish people got out of Egypt. But in terms of days, in terms of proximity in the text, this is all occurring within two weeks. Two short but powerful commands to bring the Korban Pesach, that are very similar but very, very different and give us perspectives as what to what the Korban Pesach was and what we might be commanded to do on the Seder night. Parakut Bet. 
Moshe Rabbeinu calls the Zikne Yisrael and he says, Pull, Mishchu, go, pick out lambs. And you're going to put down these lambs. You're going to shech these lambs. I encourage everyone to listen to the beautiful words of our Rebbe Rav Rosenzweig just a few days ago for his father, who's so beloved in this room and in the Jewish world, where he spoke about this very powerful idea, Vishachatu, Vishachatu, Vishachatu. It's up on Wai Torah. Moshe Rabbeinu tells the Jewish, tells the leaders that we're going to do a parade. We're going to parade the God of the Egyptians. We're going to do this yesterday. This is a very special year. It falls out in the same days as it did thousands of years ago. Shabbos was the 10th of Nisan. Yitzias Mitzrayim. The Seder night is Wednesday night. I want you to make a parade. You're going to take the blood, and you're not going to place the blood, says Moshe Rabbeinu, like they will one day in the movie. It's not a splash of blood on the outside of the door, it's the inside. And it looks like this. Kind of looks like what Hebrew letter? Achet, Chayim. One, two, three, you're going to put blood on the doorposts. You're not going to leave your house till the morning. Don't leave that doorway. And God will pass over. It's very possible, by the way, that Pesach does not mean pass over. Of Cook points out that we have in the famous Pasuk by Eliyahu Anavi, Ad matai atem poschim al Poschim means probably to step down. I hate to break your whatever, it's so a few days before the holiday, but Pesach probably means to step down. Doesn't that make a lot more sense? God says, I will step, I will enter your homes. Pesach probably means to enter. I will enter your homes, and because I enter your homes, the Malachamaves, the Mashkas, will not be able to enter your homes. I don't mean you shouldn't rip up the front page of every Agada you have, but it's likely that's what the word Pesach means, not to pass over, but to join us. And this is something that's not just going to be this year, he tells the people. It's going to continue forever. We're going to continue this idea of having a Pesach holiday. And when you get to Eretz Yisrael, you're going to continue to do this. And when your child says to you, Abba, Ima, what are you doing? What is this? What will you answer? This is a Paschal lamb because God attacked the Egyptians and he saved us. Account number one. Very dramatic account. Not just the way I'm reading it. It's a very, very dramatic account. The child asks, what is this all for? What's going on? And the answer, because God saved us from Mitzrayim. This is the account that the Jewish people are given some time towards the beginning of the month of uh, Nisan. 
and they were to take this animal and make a parade yesterday on, Sh- on Shabbos Hagadol, and maybe that's why it's called, for a variety of reasons, Shabbos Hagadol having to do with this miracle, they took the God of the Egyptians, the Egyptians couldn't touch them, didn't touch them. And the answer is, we're getting out tomorrow. And in the interim, the Jewish people do in fact get out of Mitzrayim. And on the day as they're getting out of Mitzrayim, we turn to Perak Yud Gimel, and I want you to look closely, whether you're watching on Zoom, or whether you're here in the room, I want you to watch closely for the differences, but we're once again commanded the same thing. We're once again told this is not a one-time event, we're going to do this throughout Jewish history. But I want you to look closely at the text, and I'm going to ask you, I'm going to challenge you, it will be on the final, what are the differences between the account in Perak Yud Bet and the account in Perak Yud Gim? Seemingly, it's not clear exactly when this is said, the morning of the 15th, the afternoon of the 15th, Remember this day when you got out of Mitzrayim, chametz. Oh, whoa. And you shall not eat chametz. Where's this coming from? We haven't heard anything about chametz till now. Now he says, Notice the weather, everybody. It's the spring. Now it gets basically the same thing. And when you get there, you'll get to the land of what? Shechter explains it's white wine and date honey. The land of Israel is not really known for its milk. Those of you who've had it in the bags, that's one thing. They're not on on the cutting edge of milk. Chalav probably means in this context. Again, I don't mean to break every single restaurant name for it and all this and that. But chalav is probably white wine, and dvash is certainly not bee honey. Grapes and dates are two of the seven minim. So it's white wine and date honey. When you get to that land that has so many fruits. You shall continue to do this avoda in this month. Seven days you're going to eat matzah. Oh, matzah, where did that come from? Seven days you're going to eat matzah, and the seventh day you'll have another yantiv. Now it continues the same way. And you shall tell your son on that day, for this, let's translate that. How do you translate that phrase? For this, God did to me when I left Egypt. What's the for this? What's the this in the Pasuk? Not so clear. A strange puzzle. If you look at the back, Rashi says, Ba'avur Zeh, the top source, Ba'avur She'akayem Mitzvotav. In order that I'll do the mitzvos. That's interesting. 
God took me out of Egypt in order that I'll do the mitzvos, kigon Pesach, Matzah, Umar, Halalu. These are mitzvos. Other things are mitzvos. It continues with Vahyalach, Halaotal, Yadchal, Zikron, Beninecha. Continues with Tefillin. And I tell the son that God took me out of Egypt so that I could do mitzvos. That's account number two. They're separated by less than two weeks. Both passages are there to tell you basically to keep doing the Korban Pesach, but they're dramatically different. How are they different? What are the differences between Perak Yud Bet and Perak Yud Gimel? Suggestions. Yes. Seemingly everybody. The first one is specifically to the Ziknei Israel. He calls over the elders. There seemed to be this structure. The second one is just to everybody. Good. What else? Yes. Well, one is more seemingly describing, and we'll get back to this, the experience of that first night. What are examples of things that are part of that experience on the first night? Right. In other words, they each they each are going to describe certain mitzvot. The first one is going to describe the mitzvot that we did specifically that first night. Right. What are the what are what are the pieces of that first night experience? By the way, do you do, do we all realize what we're talking about? The first seder was in Egypt. Now, again, if you've seen the famous Ten Commandments, then that picture, which really looks more like the Last Supper, than the first supper of Pesach, but there's a reason why they did that, but that scene is in Egypt. It's very interesting that the first Seder was in Egypt. What did they say when they were eating the matzah? They didn't know that their bread wasn't going to be able to rise the next day. Right? What, what did they say when they were eating the marah? We're eating this marah because we want to remember that our ancestors were slaves. Ancestors, we were, not only we were slaves, we are still, I mean, we're not slaves anymore. They're basically decimated, but we're still in our slave home with our slave. The, the, the whip on our back, those things haven't healed yet. It's six months since they were slaves. Very strange, but that was the first night. So in the first passage, you have particular mitzvos like putting the blood on the doorposts, the parade, the parade, the parade of the sheep, to mock the Egyptians, and the mitzvah to eat bechipazon, with alacrity, ready to go, bags packed, uh, coat on, everything ready to roll. What mitzvot do you have in the second passage that you don't have in the first? What? Matzah, chametz, what we'll call Pesach. Not really Pesach, because we call it Pesach, it's really the Korban. But the holiday, Chagamatzos. What else are differences between the first between the first and the second? What? Okay, so what's that difference in terms of the relationship with the children? What's the what's the question of the first son? What are you doing? What is this? What's the question of the second son? Good. There's no question. The second son doesn't ask a question, right? The second son just says, Ve'higadet levincha at patach lo. 
But also interesting is not only that the first son asks a question and the second one doesn't ask a question, but what is the answer to both children? Let's assume the second one has an implicit question. What's the answer? In the first account, in Perakid Bet, why are we doing Pesach? What's the answer? What's the answer? Because God is attacking, destroying the Egyptians, and we're going to get out tomorrow. In the second account, it's the same holiday. Why are we keeping the holiday of Passover? Ba'avur So we could do mitzvot. Wow, that's a very, very different kind of response. How about the way that Israel is described? How is Israel described in account number one, in, in Parakibet? How is Israel described? It's Haaretz, the land, the land that's promised. How is it described in the second account? Haaretz, Knani, Achiti, Zavad Chalavudvash, this very descriptive picture of the land of Israel. So why is it, with all the differences, and we'll see there are even more, why is it that essentially this account is repeated? There seem to be different things in the first, different things in the second. If you turn the page, look at Rashi. Rashi gives a surprising answer considering everything that we've done. Rashi says, Rashi says, we know this already. We already learned that you're supposed to keep a Korban Pesach when you get to the land of Israel. That's already appeared in Perak Bet. Says Rashi, Bishvil davar Because one thing is new. We just had this in the Dafyomi uh, yesterday, I think. Right? That you'll repeat an entire passage just because there's something new. You'll repeat words, you'll repeat a passage because I know what's new. Rashi says, two different children... The first passage tells you that you might have at your table a Ben Rasha, the kind of kid who's going to say, Abba, Ima, what is this to you? Are you serious? What are you doing? And the second passage in Perakut Gimel says, no, it's the Ben Sha'ena Yodea Lishol. That's the kid who doesn't know what to ask. He got it to Lebincha, there's no question. Sometimes the kid won't be able to ask a question. And therefore, you're going to say, says Rashi, why is the passage repeated primarily? As it will be repeated again, primarily to teach you that there'll be different kinds of kids at your Seder. Interesting. How much of the Torah's mitzvah to have the holiday of Pesach is centered on the question of how to bring this over to your children? How to pass this along to another generation? There's no other holiday where we're told we have to involve the kids. The Torah tells us that this is about, we're going to repeat an entire parsha, not to tell you to tell your kids, because we already know you have to tell your kids. We're going to repeat an entire parsha in the Torah to tell you that you must exercise differentiated learning, as we would call it today, at your Seder table. You have to have an experience that speaks to different people in different ways. Interesting. But there's clearly much more of a difference between the first passage and the second, as was suggested before, and as was suggested by Rabbi Mori Rav Lichtenstein Satsal, who of course was not only the head of the Gush, but the Rav son-in-law, our Rosh Hashiva, 
for many years serving in the Gruss campus in Eretz Yisro. The experience, the first passage, Parakid Bet, has a much, much different feel than Parakid Gimel. Much, much different feel than Parakid Gimel. Parakid Bet is passion. Parakid Bet is the night of. They were given just a couple of days apart, but between point A and point B happened one of the most dramatic moments in all of Jewish history. Perek Yudbet, as was suggested, describes not just the Ben Harasha, but interestingly, the Ben Harasha at the first Seder. Perek Yudbet describes a one-time event. A one-time event when the Jewish people, before they left Egypt, in their slave homes, were going to bring a Pesach Korban, and we're going to have a Seder in their homes. And they were going to do things that we would never do again. The Mishnah at the end of Mesachas Psachim on the back, Ma'abain Pesach Mitzrayim Pesach Dorot. What's the difference between the Pesach experience, like we had it in Egypt, and the Pesach experience when we will have it for generations in the Beit HaMikdash? Pesach Mitzrayim Mikchomi Be'asor. One time, the Pesach and Mitzrayim required a parade. Four days before you have to take it, you have to mock the Egyptians. Why will we not do that in Jerusalem? Why will we not do that for the next thousand years? Why no parade? No Egyptians, hopefully. <laughs> Who? It just wouldn't have meaning. You're going to parade the... I, people do this to make a scene at the Harabayat and all this and that, but, but there's, no, there's no meaning to making a parade the four days before. The idea was the incredible bravery of these people who looked their oppressors in the eye and were able to say, we're going to slaughter what you consider to be a god. Something else that happened one time in history, blood on the doorposts. Ladies and gentlemen, why don't we do this in our homes? Mostly for Shalom Bayes. This, this wouldn't go well. I mean, seriously? You're going to take blood or red paint and you're going to paint the doors of your homes every single year. Someone will yet, I know, because everything is out there. They already created salt water that you could sell in the Gourmet Glot. So someone will come up with vanishing red paint that lasts for exactly 24 hours, and you could still put it on your door, and you could freak out the kids, but the wife will be okay, because at the end of the day, it'll disappear after 24 hours. You're not going to do this today. God's not coming into our homes in that sense. There's no death of the first part. I mean, the whole thing has no meaning the next year. And one time... Why don't we stand today there in Yerushalayim? Why don't, why don't we stay there with our suitcases and our bags packed to leave? There's no meaning in our leaving. Maybe we should stay with our bags today. That's a separate question. Why we don't do that. But the, the Mishnah is talking about the difference between the Korban Pesach in Mitzrayim and the Korban Pesach in the Beit HaMikdash. Today, maybe it wouldn't be so bad if we had some of our things packed before Yom Tov. I don't mean, I mean for those who are staying home. Some of the things packed with a belief that somehow this is the Chodesh of Geula, and who knows, maybe Eliyahu will really show up at our door at midnight. 
But in, in Eretz Israel during the time of the Mikdash, it has no meaning. Perek Yudbet describes the experience in Mitzrayim. When the child asks, and of course he's asking, have you lost your minds? Ima, Abba, have you lost your mind? What are you doing? You're parading with a sheep? You're slaughtering a sheep? You're throwing blood on our doorposts? You pack the bags? What are you doing? Forget about the Russia aspect. It's a normal question of a kid who sees his parents losing their minds. We spent our whole lives here in Egypt. You're packing? What are you doing? We can't leave. Out there's a desert. Are you serious? The answer of the parent is, no, God is taking us out of Egypt. Tomorrow, he's going to strike the Egyptians tonight, a fatal blow, and then tomorrow he's going to take us out of Egypt. That's one experience. When they describe the land of Israel, how is the land of Israel described to this people, this people who are currently led by the Ziknei Yisrael? How is the land of Israel described? The land which you're promised. Because that's what it was for that Pesach. That one first Pesach, that's how it was. Israel was not a place they knew. Israel was a place that they were promised. Everything about Perakut Bet describes Pesach Mitzrayim, that first experience. Perakut Gimel is totally different. And it will be when you get to the land of the Knani, the Chit, the Amori, the land flowing with whatever it's flowing with. That is describing a thousand years of bringing the Korban Pesach in Eretz Israel. Now you know what Eretz Israel is. Remember, I'm saying it to you today. It's, we're in the moment of Yitzhiya Mitzrayim, but I'm basically telling you to review this next year. Not so funny things happened along the way. But I'm telling you, basically, next year this time, I want you to review this, and now you'll be in Israel, and it's flowing, and everything's wonderful. And now, interestingly, we bring in the, all these other mitzvot. The, the laws of chametz and matzah didn't apply for seven days that first year. Now, the second year, that's Pesach as we know it. And we know why we're doing this. And the kid goes to Gan, and he comes home from Gan, and he's learned already. That child doesn't have a question, Ima, Abba, what are you doing? Right? That child already learned all of this in Gan. The only child who learned and is asking his parents, what are you doing, is the kid who came back from Shanabet. He's saying, Ima, Abba, what are you doing? I learned that you're not allowed to do anything. Okay, that's a separate kind of Shaila. But the kid who's in Gan, that kid doesn't have any Shailas. He knows why God, why, why the parents are shechting this animal. He knows why we're having a holiday. Because last year, and 20 years ago, and 100 years ago, we got out of Egypt. And what's the answer that we give the child? The answer that we give the child is more sophisticated, is deeper than the answer that was given to the child that first night. The child doesn't have any questions. He thinks he understands. He thinks he learned about this in Gan. He thinks he knows why we're going to sing about frogs and all the kind of stuff like that. A much different kind of Seder. No blood. No. The answer to the child is, The parent is asked to go one step 
further. Of course we got out of Egypt. But why did we get out of Egypt? What is history telling us? What is it that we're supposed to learn from that? How are our lives different? That's what the parent is commanded to do in the Seder for the rest of time. It's not enough just to review the story. We have to understand the hashlachot. We have to be able to say, so what, how did this change our lives? The ilu lohotzi hakadosh baruch What if he hadn't taken us out? What would our lives be like? One explained Rav Lichtenstein was a Seder of passion and the other a Seder of perspective. And even if we're not actually getting out of Egypt, and even if actually nothing's going to happen the next afternoon except a little bit of shluf and the eating of the leftovers from the Seder, we still have to add something to that Seder. We still have to bring that perspective. We still have to explain to the child, How many of us say that? To our children, our grandchildren, our nieces, our nephews, the other guests at the Seder. How many of us make that declaration? Bavur zeh. Asa Hashem li To be able to do the mitzvos. Shechiyanu v'kiyamanu v'higiyanu l'zman hazeh. The Seder is a time, Rabosai, when we need to add to the words of the story with the most simple of statements. The most simple of statements. You could talk for an entire night at the Seder. You could come up with every single gematria you could possibly have and not be Yotze, the mitzvah of Sipri Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim. Because the mitzvah of Sipri Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim is not simply to say cute things about the different things. I hate when somebody says, Oh, I got something on this. I got something on this. As if the Seder, which was designed by Chazal and the Ribona Shalolam, was simply a jumping off point so you could have interesting conversations. The, the, the Haggadah itself and the Seder itself is where we're supposed to focus, but we do have to also say Ba'avur Zeh. How many times do we look our children in the eyes and tell them, this is what all of this means to me. This is how privileged I feel to be able to do the mitzvos. This is what I believe. I believe that HaKadosh Baruch Hu runs the world. I believe that thousands of years ago he did take the Jewish people out. And I know that there's those out there who say this couldn't possibly have happened. I believe it. And I believe that just as HaKadosh Baruch Hu did it then, HaKadosh Baruch Hu will do it for us. And I believe that HaKadosh Baruch Hu does it for us because he can change anything in the world in an instant. Do I really have to say this to my kids? I mean... Look at how much I give up to be a Jew. Look how much I give up financially. Look how much I give up my time. I send you to yeshiva. I go to Minyan. You don't realize what I believe and what I think is important? The answer is absolutely not. Some things need to be said by looking someone in the eye and actually saying it. The words, I love you, can't be assumed and need sometimes to be said eye to eye, to look someone in the eye and to say that. And to say, I love being a Jew. I love this Seder. I love, I wouldn't trade anything for what I have as a Jew 
Do you know what it means? Do you know what Yantav means to me? Do you know what my life would be like if I didn't have Yom Tov? If I didn't have the Jewish way to celebrate different things? If I didn't have the Jewish way to mourn? Do you know what my life would be like? Many of you may have seen a, a TikTok. I don't watch TikTok, Chas V'Shalom, but I saw it got forwarded to me, no, whatever. I'm sure you didn't see it either, so I'm going to tell it to you. Of some fellow that was leaving, he had gone to drop off clothes by the, by the, by the cleaners, by the tailor. And he was talking to this Italian tailor, and the tailor was asking him why he's giving in so many, uh, uh, such Shabbos clothes, and kids' clothes, and this and that. I mean, if you're, a, if you're not a, a, an observant Jew, how often do you, does a kid wear a suit? Like, why do you have to constantly clean suits? What is this? What are your suits? I bring, I get my stuff from the cleaners. I have ten white shirts. At the, who wears ten white shirts? What, what, what kind of person dresses that way? So he tried to explain to the cleaner that, uh, you know, no, we have this thing. It's called Shabbos. And every Shabbos, he's never heard of the Sabbath. Every Shabbos, we sit around the family and uh, we eat and the kids are all dressed up and they get themselves all dirty and all this and that. And he said to him, I barely see my son once a year. And he started to cry. We don't realize what we have. We don't realize what it is. Sometimes you have to say it. Sometimes you have to say it with family. The stipler, the stipler was a Talmud in the Vardic, in the Vardic Yeshiva in Europe. And the stipler went home uh, a little bit. He went home for a couple of days and uh, when he was home, he ran into a, a man. The person said, Are you, you're, 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 uh, they didn't call him uh, the stipler then. They didn't call him Rabbi Kamenetsky, uh, Rabbi Kenyevsky. So he went over and says, are you, are you a Talmud in the Vardics? He says, my son is in the Vardic. Could you bring a letter to my son? Says, okay, I'll bring a letter to your son. Says, when, are you, when are you next going back to yeshivas? I'm going back tomorrow. So he says, okay, I'm going to come by your home. I'm going to give you a letter for my son. Writes a letter. He seals it. He, it's so nice and everything. It's all very special. He gave it to the gave it to who would become the stipler. And the stipler did not go back to yeshiva that next day. That next day, World War One broke out, and it became impossible to travel back to Navardic. And he never went back to Navardic. And years later, he's walking in the street. And he comes across this son, the son to whom he never did. He forgot. <laughs> World War I broke out. He forgot that he had this letter at his, at his house. And he comes across this son and he says, I have a letter from your father, which was very significant because the father had died three years before. It's exactly three years as it was. And uh, the stipler went home and he got the letter and he brought it to the person and the He's standing there as he watches it, and he starts to read the letter out loud. And the letter says, My dear son, I'm so excited to see you when you come home for Pesach. There's one thing that's critical that you do. There's one thing more than anything that I want you to do when you come home for Pesach. And he said, I want you to bring me those dagim maluchim. I want you to bring me the salted fish. There must have been some uh, dealer in salted fish right near the yeshiva in the Vardik. He said, I want you to bring home some of this fish. And he saw the son reading this letter. This is the one thing I want from you. This is the father talking from the grave. This is the one thing I want from you. And he told him he wanted the salted fish. And the stipler says, when do we get to write a letter to our children? 
And what is the most important thing that we want them to bring home from their years in yeshiva? And we may not write that letter, but we write in many different ways. At the Yom HaKahol this year, just a few weeks ago, we showed a very dramatic a very dramatic video of Rabbi Soloveitchik. And Rabbi Soloveitchik wrote about the different ways that we write to future generations. Sometimes we write by writing things on paper. But Moshe Rabbeinu, he says, wasn't called the Safra Rabbah, wasn't called the great scribe because he wrote down a Sefer Torah. He was called the Safra Rabbah because he wrote on the hearts and the minds of people that would write on the hearts and the minds of people of a generation. And when we write that letter to our children and to our grandchildren and to our nieces and to our nephews and to whoever is at part of our lives, what do we write on their hearts and their minds? What is the most important thing that they should bring back? When do we do that? We do that at the Seder. Don't let your Seder go by without pouring out your heart and saying things that are so simple that they don't need to be said, but they need to be said. Moshe Feinstein famously wrote that a whole generation of people who gave up their jobs every single Friday so that they could keep Shabbos in the early 1900s in New York. Forget about those who worked on Shabbos and how could we possibly judge them? Who knows? How could we imagine what that was like? what the Nisayon was like to give up your job every Friday, how are you going to support your family? But those, there are many people who gave up their jobs, who wouldn't work on Shabbos, who knew they were going to get fired. And yet their children decided not to keep on the path of Judaism. He says, how is that possible? Ramosha says, because as brave as they were and as heroic they were, they came home and they said, it's schwer to be a Yid, it's hard to be a Jew. They kvetched, as they deserved to. And they didn't spend the time with their children explaining all the parts of Yiddishkeit that they love and how it gives meaning to their life. And how they wouldn't know what life was if it wasn't for Yiddishkeit. We have to find times to say that beferish to our spouses, to our children, to our friends, and to look in the mirror and to say it to ourselves. Because it is sometimes difficult to be a Jew. And we are still persecuted. But we would never give that up. The Seder night is where we start it all again. Everything starts from scratch. Every message that we had until now goes out. Rav Pincus writes that the other time that we scrub our house clean is when a new baby is coming into the house. That's the other time we, we scrub our homes clean, we turn over the whole place. He says a new baby is coming into the house, a new, a, a, a new people, a new amuna. Everything starts from scratch. You've got to say it at the Seder. But there's something more. Because I kind of fudged a line in Parakut Bet that you have to go back to. Because after describing the parade which we'll never do again. And after describing the blood on the doorpost, which we'll never do again, and after describing how you have to eat pachipazon, 
The Pasuk says, Ushmartem, four lines down in the middle in Parakut Bed, Ushmartem et hadavar hazeh, lechok lechol vanecha adola. And you should do this forever. What? This is Dafka, what we're not going to do forever. This is a description of Pesach Mitzrayim. Note that in Parakut Gimel it says, not Ushmartem, but. End of the third line, One says you shall do, and one says you shall keep. Why in Parakid Bet does it say you should keep? And how could it say that about something, about a passage that we don't do anymore? Look, turn the page, the Ramban says, Ushmartem et hadavar hudvar ha-pesach atzmo. It doesn't mean you should keep doing the blood on the doorpost. Everybody knows you don't do that anymore. It doesn't. It's going back to the first words, Vishachatua Pesach. The, the shechting of the Pesach you should always do. But not everything else. Very strange. Explained Rav Lichtenstein so powerfully. It says, Ushmartem, not Vavadetem. Ushmartem refers not just to an act, but to a feeling. And even though you won't actually put blood on your doorposts, and you won't actually sit there with your bags packed, the Seder needs to also be a night of passion, and it can't just be a night of perspective. It can't be something that we did last year, and we did for 30 years before. It needs to feel like that first night. It needs to have the feeling, the passion, the energy that I'm actually getting out of Mitzrayim now. As the Rambam writes, a person needs to not simply show or feel that they got out of Mitzrayim, but that I'm getting out of Mitzrayim now. The Rambam starts as, I go to Bibihilu, Yatsu Mitzrayim, with, 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 with a sense of, of, of tumult. That, says Rav Lichtenstein, needs to be there at our Seder as well. And that needs to be there in our lives as well. As Rav Lichtenstein so often spoke about the different beautiful communities, the different groups of Jews, some who excel with the passion for Yiddishkeit and Torah, and others who excel by being able to look at history properly and seeing God's hand in the establishment of Eretz Yisrael, and perspective, and understanding how all the things in the world should be part of our Judaism. But we need to combine both. We need to have the passion, and we need to have the perspective. And both of those things need to be at our Seder. How do we feel that way? How do we feel in 2023 that I got out of Mitzrayim? I wouldn't know. People who came out of Soviet Russia might have an inkling. People who came from certain lands, people who got out of Iran before the revolution, some, how, is that, how am I supposed to possibly feel like I got out of anything? What did I ever get out of? Rav Matisyahu Solomon has a beautiful suggestion in one of the essays before his Haggadah. He says the following, and he says that this is better than nothing. Try this. He goes, imagine getting out of the following scenario, because at least it'll give you that... 
you get caught speeding. This is what Rav Matasyahu says. You get caught speeding. And not that, like, you know, 28 and a 25 on a back street. That, that, you know, you're 18 years old, you recently got your license, you're going up to the country. That 80 and a, what used to be a 50 or 55. And the cop comes over and he says, license, registration. And you fumble, you don't even know where your parents' registration is. Finally, you get it, you give it to him, and you're sitting on the car, and you're in spilk. What does this mean? Are they going to take away my, I don't know, I haven't had my license for four weeks. What does this mean? They're going to kill me. And then the cop comes back and says, just drive more carefully next time. Have a nice day. He says, if that's what does it for you, and I'm not suggesting you try this, but try the exercise in your heads. You have to feel like you just got out of something. And for a little kid, he said, tell them that imagine they were misbehaving in class and the Rebbe loves them and the Rebbe knows them and they get told to stand outside the classroom door. But the Manahel, oh, the Manahel. And the kid is afraid that the Manahel is going to see him in the hallway. I'm a Manahel sort of, but not that kind of Manahel. He's going to see him in the hallway and he hears the, 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 the Manahel coming up the steps. He hears those steps, those those footsteps coming out, then suddenly the Rebbe comes out of the door and says, my kin, come back into the classroom. Whew. We have to feel it somehow. We have to feel as if somehow we got out of something. We have to have that passion at that night. I would suggest, Rabosai, that even though I'm, you shouldn't pack a suitcase to have by your Seder, and chas v'sholem, gentlemen, do not consider putting red paint on your, the front of your house. There is a way that we can accomplish all of these three things. Mikro mi be'asor. We don't make a parade with animals, we don't parade the sheep, but this sense that something is coming. And it's especially difficult, Rabosai, if you're going away for Pesach, whether you're going to a hotel or you're going to family. I remember last year was the first year that we ever went to a hotel for the Sadarim. Ever. And I have to say, I couldn't stand Erev Pesach. I couldn't deal with it. This year we're home the whole time. I couldn't deal with it. I felt like I'm eating at the, at the whatever. First of all, it tasted like I was eating real food. What am I doing? What about that? Wherever we're going to be for Pesach, Mikhomi Be'asor, four days before, we have to begin to prepare. And if you're going to be running the Seder especially, you have an obligation to make this work. Don't show up at the Seder and say, I'm going to try to figure out, I'll read from the Haggadah. Prepare the passion. This is the night that the Rav described, experiential, not intellectual memory. How are we going to make this an experience for everybody at the table? And Bechipazon. How do we create that Chipazon? I, I, if I can make a suggestion. Very often at our Siddharim, we have lots of other people around, and if you're at a program, there are lots and lots of people around. You haven't seen everybody. Suddenly they're there. Ah, oh, this and that. Everybody's at their tables. The Seder night is not a time to get to know your guests between Shul and the Seder. Not just because the kids are only going to stay up so late, but because that's our moment of Chipazon. 
We come from Mayrev, we sit at the Seder, and we start. There has to be a passion. This is going to be the most special night of the whole year. You'll do the introductions later. You'll figure out who everybody is at the table during Shulchan Aruch. But you have the opportunity to do 64 mitzvos in front of you. You have the opportunity, you're getting out of Mitzrayim. Start it right away. Start it with a passion. Bring that passion straight from Shul, and certainly if you said Hallel in Shul, bring that passion of Hallel right to the table. And don't let that passion diminish as the Seder wanes. What was the meaning of that blood on the doorpost? The blood on the doorpost was not relevant until midnight. The blood on the doorpost would mean nothing until most of the Seder was over. But it reminded us that at the end of the Seder, there's still something coming. There's still something else. The real drama is about to unfold. The end of the Seder can't be a time where we simply kind of rush through things and those who are still awake figure out how to get to the end. The end of the Seder, when we actually look forward, when we turn from the past Geula to the future Geula, when we open up that door for Eliyahu and Navi, when we begin to feel like it can really happen, that if God really took us out of Egypt, of course He can bring the Mashiach. Of course He could take us to Eretz Yisrael for once and for all. That passion needs to remain and build throughout the Seder. We need to dance at the end of the Seder, not because we're, not because we're finally done with it, but we need to dance at the end of the Seder because we believe that Mamish Lashana Habab Yerushalayim. Mikhomi Basor. To build up the excitement. To make sure that excitement goes right into the Seder. Everyone will feel that at your Seder. Right into the Seder. And then to keep that excitement. Because a Seder needs to be a time of perspective. But it also needs to be a time of passion. It needs to feel like that first night as well. You know, when my guests come to our table, I'm going to end, because you really came to hear it by Leibowit. Um, I always start by saying the following. We're about to experience three seders together. And they're like, oh my God, this is going to take till dawn. You're going to say, no, I said, no. I said, we're going to do them throughout. On the one hand, we're going to recreate at this table a seder that happened thousands of years ago in Egypt. There are going to be moments in this Seder where we're going to pretend that we're still in Egypt and we're getting out tomorrow. We're also at the same time going to carry out a Seder in Jerusalem during the time of the Mikdash. And we're going to do certain things that actually make us feel like there's Kudshim on the table. And we're also going to have a Seder that takes place this year in Cedarhurst in 2023. Because we also need a Seder that brings everything that's happened to us and in our lives, every moment of Ashkacha Pratis, everything going on in history, and we see history is going wild. We're going to bring that to our Seder also. We're going to have three Sedarim in one, a Seder of Pesach Mitzrayim, a Seder of Pesach Doros, and a Seder of 2023, which will hopefully be the last one that we'll ever have in Goros. This shir is Lazech Nishma, someone that was very special to many of us. Who's a father figure, not just to those who are Zoha to be his children, grandchildren, but uh, he was a father figure to me. He was a father figure to all the younger fellows on the Reed's board. 
And that passion and that perspective is what we remember at the time of his yard sign. That passion, that fire, <laughs> when it would be his turn to speak at the board, he wouldn't really wait for his turn, but when he would come alive at the trustee meeting and uh, tell us exactly what he thought about whatever proposal was on the table. But more than anything, it was a perspective. Perspective of what happened in his life. A perspective of someone who came to MTA without a cent in his pocket. Perspective of someone who understood this place was with all of its warts and all of its difficulties and all of its challenges and complexities. But the perspective of someone who really understood what this place is in our individual lives and in the lives of our people. And he wrote that. He wrote that on our hearts and on our minds. And he speaks three years after his death, not just about the dog and maluchim, that it was so important to have hot dogs at the dinner, which was very important. But believe me, that's not what we remember. Because that was not the message that he sent us. What's most important? Family, Torah, tradition, yeshiva. He wrote those things loudly and clearly on our minds and on our hearts. And in that sense, he is here today. We should all have the schos to be able to live beyond our lifetimes because of our passion and our perspective. I wish everyone a chakash of Sameh.